Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Matthew chapter 5, the title of the message today, Jesus on Truthfulness. All right, the truth. We're in the section here, we've been here for a few weeks, where Jesus is exposing the sham, all right, the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. These individuals were notorious for twisting and perverting the law of God. They could make it almost allow anything they wanted to allow, and they could excuse themselves from almost anything that they didn't want to do. We've already examined how Jesus gave these messages on anger when he gave the the message from commandment number six, the destructive power of lust. Jesus took an expositional message of commandments number seven and 10. Last week, we looked at the, the harm, the hurtfulness of divorce, the value of marriage, where Jesus expositionally gave a message from commandment number seven. And today... We're going to deal with commandments number three and number nine. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and we don't bear false witness to lie. Jesus is addressing the issue of truthfulness, that is, of making oaths or vows. And we live in a world uh, where common phrases that have become popular, such as fake news, Right? Nobody, we just don't want fake news. What is the true news? What is the real, you know, what is really happening? Then you have the fact checkers, right? If you don't meet their standards and more people can come online and be fact checkers of the fact checkers and what is actually a fact and what is false, it's really hard to tell. It's really difficult to know. We're used to people saying now, you know, well, that's my truth. You know, that's true to me. That's true for me. Okay, but the real question is, but is it true? We want the true, not the two truth, but the true truth. Now, sadly, I wish I could say that this is only in the secular world. And when you walked in the doors this morning, and if anybody walks into a church, welcome to a complete environment of truth. I wish I could say that. But you're here and I'm here. And then we have news headlines. This one, both of these articles in the New York Times by Ruth Graham, February 11th an international apologist, and the story is continuing to unfold, that the man, though he has now passed away, his life ended up not being what everyone thought it was. And this is hurtful. There are people who came to faith in Christ by listening to some of his sermons, and now his life is marked by scandal. The person that everyone thought was a wonderful spokesperson for Christianity, ends up being found in the most detestable situations, doing things that Jesus would never have anything to do with Jesus. What's the trouble there? He withheld the truth. It was true all along. The Lord knew. He didn't hide it from God, but it was hid from people around him. It was primarily hid from the world. And then as we went through the last year into the elections, there were self-proclaimed prophets all over social media. They don't have to be accountable to a local congregation. They can get a following of people on the internet, and they're all over the place, all over YouTube, all over Facebook, and they come down with self-proclaimed prophecy, the Lord told me, the Lord showed to me, here's what's going to happen, you can trust me, and they made predictions, they made prophecies saying, oh, Donald Trump, will, you know, he's going to be elected and this will never happen, 
And this article highlights, you know, the, the article, Christian prophets are on the rise. What happens when they're wrong? Well, this article says at the end, the individual that has apologized, I'm sorry I was wrong, it ends with him saying, stay tuned, more prophecy on the way. What happened to the, the guy who blew the hot wind of God, the breath of God on COVID a year ago? People still sending him money. They speak lies. They withhold the truth. Uh, what is the Lord's perspective on this? What is God's perspective on this? Then we bring it to where we live and we think about our own truthfulness. Have we always been honest in everything that we've said and done? Anybody here never told a lie? When I was a kid, sometimes I think I'd lie when the truth would sound better. It's never good to be good at telling lies, but here's what usually happened. That lie would continue to snowball until finally the truth would come out, and then it would have been way better if I'd have just been honest early on, right? Oh, I wish I would have learned that lesson much sooner in life. Have you ever withheld information or exaggerated about yourself to make yourself appear better to others? No, that was the nine o'clock hour. That was everybody in that service, right? Everybody here like, no, nope, just there it is. This is how awful I am. And this is how, you know, I just, I just, you never use the Instagram filter to make it look better, make your face look better, get the lighting. I mean, we're trying to work with what God has given to us, right? Jesus came to fulfill the law, and now he's setting forth the standard. And when he sets forth these standards, understand, like the oxygen goes out of the room. Who can do this? Who can survive? Jesus. And ultimately, who, all who are found in Christ. This is where we come back to, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't need more of our own. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more truthful. We need a different kind of righteousness to be imputed to us, given to us. And that's what the gospel offers to us. We're committed to worship together to walk together, to work together. This is not arbitrary, beloved. God is doing a work in us. He's changing us. And as the people of God, we want to be, we will not, we will be relentless to not give up on, let's be authentic. Let's be genuine. So that if counterfeit comes in and tries to, you know, here we come with religious counterfeits, it's immediately identified as that's not according to Jesus. Let's be authentic. Let's be dependable. It's essential for us. So Jesus is describing this is a new kind of life. This is upside down living. This is very different than the culture that we live in as he gives to us the terms for those who have born again, been born again into his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, okay, his word is on par with God's word, with scripture, because he's God. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we want to unpack two lessons from Jesus. All right? One is negative and one is positive. Two lessons from Jesus that help us expose deception and embrace truth. And here's what religious people will not do. They will, they will stay far away from exposing my deception. 
areas where I can be deceived. They will be very good at finding where you're deceived and you're wrong and that evangelist and those people and I found them and I've called them out. But what about areas where I missed the mark? The Lord is concerned with you. He's concerned with me. And if we're going to be pleasing to him, then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, search my heart. Number one, first lesson, dishonesty is not justified by the use of technical loopholes. We might call it fine print. Dishonesty is not justified by the use of technical loopholes. Because God is not the author of deception, so therefore he will not bless lies. He will oppose them. So if you think back to when you were a kid and you told maybe a friend or you told something and they asked you, are you telling me the truth? And your hand was behind your back and you said, oh yes, I'm telling you the truth. And then they would say, let me see your hand. They wanted to see what? Are your fingers crossed? Because if your fingers crossed, ah, you were telling a lie, but the crossing of the fingers canceled it, not a lie. I could mislead you with a smile on my face, but my, my fingers are crossed behind my back. All right, that's a technical loophole, and it does not justify dishonesty. We live in a time when contracts are everywhere. Accept our terms, accept our ter- updated the app, accept our terms. Do you really read all the fine print? Do we know what we're saying? If you've ever closed on a house, it's a small house of paperwork that you have to sign an initial to get that. Why is that? It does not attest to just the loveliness of signing a contract. It attests to how many people fail to follow through on what they said they were going to do. So banks have to come up with endless paperwork so that someone can't say, oh, but it was a Tuesday on the snow and the, oh, you got us. You don't have to repay your mortgage. Loophole. That's why we have so much paperwork to sign. John Stott says it this way, connecting last Sunday's sermon to today. If divorce is due to human hard-heartedness, swearing or oath-making is due to human untruthfulness. Both were permitted by the law, neither was commanded, neither should be necessary. So when we look at this this morning, this oath-making, let's look at the Old Testament, all right? The Old Testament command for honesty was perfectly clear. It was abundantly clear. Jesus affirmed the importance of there not being any deception in our lives. Verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said of the, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So Jesus is moving from anger, lust, divorce, now taking up the subject of oaths, vows, and truthfulness. When we make promises, he provided the timeless exposition that's also timely for us today. So, Loved ones, we all have to drop the inner, we have to fire the inner lawyer. We have to drop that personal defensiveness that is in all of us that, no, I'm not wrong. I don't do that. That's not me. We have to let that guard down and invite the Holy Spirit to say, let's let's come into the light because that's where we find truth, authenticity, and life. Now here, Jesus was not quoting directly the Old Testament, but he's expounding, he's summarizing the Old Testament, the laws that were given about being truthful. We see this as related, it's connected, it's intrinsic to the character of God, and it's replete throughout the entire Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, here's commandment number 3. Commandment number 3 is not just a prohibition to not take the name of the Lord in vain, OMG, okay? 
It's not just limited to when you're really emphatic, you know, thrilled and, and God's name is invoked or when you're angry, something goes wrong and God's name is the one brought down and just used in a filthy way, just a, a cursing way. That's included in this command, but it's not the end of this command. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Leviticus 19, verses 11 and 12. Here we see the prohibition against lying, against pledging falsely. Okay, not, notice it's not saying you cannot make a pledge, you cannot make an oath. It's giving the terms for how you were to make an oath. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. What profanes the name of the Lord? to swear, invoke his name falsely. I have no intention of doing that, or I took his name and then I didn't do it. That's profaning the name of the Lord your God. Numbers 30, verse 2, the Lord shows us through Moses here how binding the nature is of a vow. If a man vows a vow, notice it doesn't say don't make a vow. It says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, different words here, swear, vow, oath, pledge, just describing the whole element of giving your word, making a vow, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds of his mouth. So when it comes to, and, and it's coming soon, and we're going to pledge, we're going to promise of what we're, we believe the Lord will enable us to give for the future of this building and 30 mile and forest, it's not wrong to make a pledge. It's wrong to enter into it lightly. It's wrong to take God's name and pl- place it on it and have no intention of doing it. The Lord takes seriously. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, we're not to make a vow in a hasty manner. Verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God. It doesn't say don't make a vow to the Lord your God. It says if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin You should be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have, here it is, it's on you, voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. We need to let this settle in and take root in our heart. The Old Testament is the record of God's activity in history. God swore that he would never again destroy the earth with a global uh, flood in Genesis 9. God swore that he would send a redeemer, Genesis 3. God swore that he would raise his son from the dead, Psalm 16 and verse 10. God swore to Abraham that he would give him a nation. That's the nation of Israel. And he would bless the world through the seed of this chosen people, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. God swore that he would preserve Israel and bless her despite how bad the situation looked and even how unfaithful she was to him. Isaiah 49. So God is not opposed to swearing, to making oaths, to making promises. But whenever God makes a vow, what separates him from you and me is he never says, I'm not able to do that. He will always do what he said he was going to do. And when we take up a vow in the name of God, we must approach it in a somber way. The New Testament summarizes God's guarantee by oath in Hebrews chapter 6. Now remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish individuals, to Israelites, and he's trying to demonstrate, you know, everything in part one, the Old Testament that you were waiting on, is revealed in Jesus, part two, Messiah. And he's better. He's better than than anything we could imagine, and it's all pointing to him. And so in Hebrews 6, in verse 17, he says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us because God can't lie. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is better. He went behind the veil. He went, and in truth, he didn't die. No sin. And he went there and he offered his own blood, his body, for us to be forgiven. And he's a high priest forever. Other high priests, they would live and they would die. And someone else would be anointed and appointed as high priest and they would live and they would die. And every year on the Day of Atonement, they would offer sacrifices for their sin and the sins of the people. Jesus offered one sacrifice for all who will turn from their sin and trust in him alone. And he said, it is finished, done, amen? So he's better and we trust in him. He cannot lie. Everything that God has said will happen has happened or will happen. So we see that in the Old Testament. It's very clear. You should be able to tell you, don't lie. I think what God is meaning is, I'm I'm not supposed to lie. I'm supposed to tell the truth. Well, along come the scribes and the Pharisees. Not so quick there. Did you know about section 37-4, paragraph 2? Did you know about that? No, I didn't know about that. Aha, uh-huh, that's what you need us for. The rabbinic exceptions were seriously corrupt. Okay, the rabbis were messed up. They were their own standard. They developed technical religious codes that sanctioned the breaking of oaths, making vows, swearing oaths. To them, they weren't misusing the name of God. That was important to them. We would never misuse the name of God. Have you seen someone, even on Twitter, and they want to be cautious in how they use God's name, and so they'll say G and a dash and a D. What are they doing there? We don't want to dishonor the name of God. That's the claim. That's the intent. But do you honor Jesus, the Son of God, who came as Messiah, who laid down his life and rose from the dead. Do you worship Jesus? Because simply using a word in some specific way and denouncing Jesus, the Son of God, it dishonors the Father, and there's no way to the Father unless you go through the Son. Here are these individuals of that same tradition, and we're honoring the name of God. And they made all kinds of ways for people to vow, make oaths that were simply frivolous and evasive. When Jesus says in verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So let's talk about their oaths. Their oaths were frivolous, That's what they provided for, that you could swear oaths about everything. Well, when you can swear oaths about everything, suddenly nothing is precious. Okay, if you can have just a no-fault divorce, then something gets diminished. Marriage does. That vow, those oaths. One commentator explains it this way. He says, frivolous oaths were indeed severely condemned in the teaching of the times. But so narrow was the circle of them that a man might swear a hundred thousand times and yet not be guilty of vain swearing. What did they do? Here's the law of God. Tell the truth. What exactly is the truth? Here's the truth. And they defined it so narrow you could just get away with anything. Remember what the rich young ruler said to Jesus? Exactly who is my neighbor? They were good at this. They did it all the time. 
How, how much can I get away with and still be acceptable to God? It was senseless to exempt oaths made by heaven, not God. We didn't make a vow by God. We made it by heaven. So I don't have to do it. Oh, that's the throne of God, Jesus is saying. Well, you're, you didn't get out of that one. It was irrational to ignore oaths made by earth. Oh, I, I didn't make it by God. I made it by earth. Okay, Jesus said that's his footstool. You didn't get out of your word on that. Well, I made my vow invoking Jerusalem. And Jesus says, well, that's the city of the great king. Try another corner. Oh, um, I made my vow on my own head, and good grief, I can't even organize my junk drawer, so I couldn't keep my word. Jesus says, no, no, whose image do you bear on your head? Who made you and your head? God did. So you didn't get away on that one either. He says, think about it. What can you really control by your own? Can you really control the color of your hair? And some would say, oh, yeah, I buy it at the store. I go to the, the, the person at the salon, and they take care of that color on my head. Yeah, and what did we learn last year when none of them could work? You give yourself a month, two months, three months, and pretty soon, whatever the color is of your hair, there it is. We see it. It's right there, Okay. And Jesus is simply saying, do you understand how perverted these religious leaders have turned in? You can't be trusted. Not so among the followers of Jesus. We're not to be this way at all. Their oaths were frivolous. Just took them all the time. Their oaths were evasive. They endorsed swearing and making oaths to escape doing what was promised. And Jesus exposed them. Go with me to Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, we are almost at the end of Jesus' time, his ministry. And in Matthew 23, you have a king, and he's setting the terms in his kingdom, and he's declaring who is outside of my kingdom. There's a very distinct line between the religious leaders of Jesus' day and Jesus and his followers. In Matthew 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. Okay, you can break that oath. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, Oh, yes, now he is bound by his oath, yes, yes. Because he swore by the gold of the temple. You blind fools. Okay, this is where the common people were like, he just tells it like it is. He doesn't have to have that super sappy, spiritual, you know, voice. He just says it like it is, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold? Oh, yes, yes, yes. No. Or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, oh, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, oh, he's bound by his own. Understand how that would work out. Wait, wait, wait. Did you swear by the altar? Or did you swear by the gift on the altar? Oh, I swore by the altar. Hey, you're good. Don't worry about it. Whew, good thing you didn't swear by the gift on the altar. Man, you'd be in trouble. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. There's no wiggle room there. R.T. France says it this way. He says, an oath is needed only if a person's word alone is unreliable. It is an admission of failure in truthfulness. 
You only need an oath. Really need it. Really need the signature. If you can't trust the person to do what they said they were going to do. The reason we have to sign all those documents to close on a loan is because there's that many. We're all prone to, do I really have to pay you back? Yeah. So we have these sayings as kids, you know, you promise, crisscross your heart, promise, cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, you really telling me the truth? Yes, yes, I promise. I swear to God. And then you start putting in things, I walked the dog, I did my homework, I didn't leave the milk out. I start, start going through all the things in our lives. And we're taking the, the oath and we're bringing the name of God into all these mundane things in life, thinking that makes us sound more believable and all it is doing is disclosing we're untrustworthy to the core without the gospel doing a work in us that changes us. So dishonesty is not justified by the use of technical loopholes. Number two, the positive lesson is integrity is when all know that we give our word and follow through. We give our word and we follow through. We don't make vows lightly. We don't make vows that we don't intend to keep as the people of God. By God's grace, we say what we mean we mean what we say, and then we do what we said we were going to do. God helping us. And this is a life of integrity. This is what Jesus expects of his people. I, mean, I can't do that all the time. That's why he has to do this in us and through us by his spirit. Disciples of the Lord Jesus are commanded to always speak the truth in love. Don't I wish I could tell you I've always spoken the truth in love. And if I told you that, do you know what I would be immediately guilty of? Hey, did you hear the Pastor Liar's sermon? I mean, Pastor Wise's sermon? Yeah. Do I want to speak the truth in love all the time? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or the evil one. When we have to throw all kinds of, I promise, I swear, I this, I that, and you have to add it all on there for people to believe you, it's telling there's something wrong. And Jesus is saying, here's what I expect of my, my kingdom citizens. When you say X or Y, yes or no, you'll do what you said you were going to do. Why? Because whatever God says, he does. Whatever God says is true is true. Whatever God says is false is false. Whatever God says is good is good. Whatever God says is evil, all the world says, you can't call that evil. But everyone will bow their knee before the one who declares what is good and what is evil. And he has our best interest in mind. There's an appropriate place for our vows. All right, so it's not that we don't ever take a vow. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's an appropriate place for vows. Vows are sacred. Vows are for solemn occasions. The Quakers, the Anabaptists, they took this section and they just applied it woodenly to restrict them from ever taking an oath because they didn't want to obey Jesus. And in doing so, they did exactly what Jesus was calling out in the scribes and the Pharisees. They zero in on one thing and ignore the rest of the Bible. It's close to what the Pharisees were guilty of doing. Example of vows are everywhere in Scripture. God vowed to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. His wife, <laughs> are you kidding me? You know how old I am? Me have a child? But whatever God says, God does. God vowed to Noah. God vowed to David. God provided the terms for oaths in the Old Testament. 
Abraham vowed to Melchizedek and later on made his servant before he was getting a wife for his son Isaac. He said, I'm going to tell you where to go and you are going to swear to me and you don't dare take my son out of the land where God has called us. This is what you're going to do. You swear to me, you make an oath to me. Whatever all that is, hand under the thigh, you know, and all these things. He made an oath. Jesus promised to die and to rise again. Jesus answered and testified under oath. Paul took vows. One of the vows that he took actually led him into the temple and and there was a, a lie that surfaced about him that had him arrested and it ended up bringing him to Rome and he's under trial and he's under oath and he gives testimony under oath. This is Old Testament, this is New Testament. So what is Jesus teaching us here then? Vows are important in three realms, the home, the government, and church. In the home, for marriage. It's called, old school, the solemnization of vows. That when I stand here with a bride and groom or wherever we might be, you're about to enter into a solemn vow before God, with one another, and before those who are gathered as witnesses. Those who stand up with a bride and groom, they're the ones brought into help us keep our vows, not help us balance out the picture when we take a picture, okay? That's not what it is. The congregation, how do we help? That's why we're doing a marriage seminar, because we want to help one another keep our vows and not just drag through, but enjoy one another the way God has intended that Satan hates, These vows are made between husband and wife till death do us part. Now, there's a global church. And this worldwide church has in it nuances, and I've been asked this question as a pastor before, that if the prominent member wants to dispense with his, usually it's a man and a woman, man doing this, with his first wife to be remarried to another wife, then if they can work through the loopholes to prove that the first marriage was never really an official marriage in God's sight, then he doesn't have to be divorced. It's just dissolved. It's just like magic wand, never happened. And that wife is left out and those children from that marriage are just left And now the man can remain in good standing and enter into a new marriage. He hasn't committed divorce. And he can be in good standing in the church because we wouldn't want that person to not be in our church or say bad things about us. So they make loopholes. None of those permit that sin of divorce in that way. What about the government? There's a seriousness here of oaths before taking an office. What is it called? We're going to swear them into office. Generally, this will be changing more and more. Hand is placed on a Bible. The hand is raised to heaven. I swear to do what my job is to do. Uphold the Constitution the way it's written, not the way I want it to be written. That's not upholding a Constitution. There are people who bring this into it, like the Bible is a living and breathing document, which means I can make it say whatever I want it to say. No, you can't. What has God said? What did he mean? How do we understand it and how do we obey it? We're never graduating beyond that right there. And that's good for us and it pleases the Lord. When someone is sworn in to give a testimony in a, in a, in a court case on trial, what do they want? They want the truth. So I'm going to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God. What is being conveyed there? Do you understand how important it is that you tell us exactly what happened and not anything else? Well, the truth kind of sounds weird. Usually it does. Tell the truth. Because if you don't, somebody may be convicted of a crime they didn't do. Somebody may be acquitted of a crime that they did do, and therefore more wrong will be done. You have to tell the truth. So there's an oath that is taken. When it comes to a church, that's the third realm. These are institutions designed by God, the marriage, government and society, the church. 
membership commitment. We gather in discipleship. It'll come up on the screen. We have four commitments. Before the Lord, I have by faith become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I've been baptized as a visible way of demonstrating that commitment, okay? You've got to be saved. You've got to belong to Christ. To simply have church membership, and if you're not born again, that doesn't help you. But Lord, I was a member of the whatever church. Do you belong to Christ? Number two, I will, with God's help, seek to maintain my consistent disciplines of prayer and Bible study, be an active part of the congregational community, and be active in evangelism. Number three, I won't criticize others. I'll go to them and work it out with them. Number four, I will financially support the ministries. However God has blessed me, I will give back to the Lord. The church doesn't tell you what to give. You work that out between you and God. How has he blessed you? How do you want to be part of his work? That's between you and God. What about our small groups? We take these as a very high priority in our church. We have nine commitments. One, I'll make my small group a priority. Not, well, I got to get to here and the kids got to get there and we got to go over there and we got to do the other thing. And, you know, I only have this. When is my group meeting? I'll be there. As much as I'm able to, I will be there. I'll make it a priority. Number two, I'll come ready to participate. I'll be prepared. Number three, I will focus with my group on how does the word of God apply to my life. Number four, confidentiality. Whatever's said in our group, I can be trustworthy with that information, sensitive information. Number five, I'll be accountable to my small group concerning my personal and spiritual goals. Number six, our groups open to new members and multiply as soon as we can. Not, but I love my group, Pastor. It's my group and we're just going to live the rest of our life in that holy huddle. No, no. We're committed to seeing other people come in to enjoy the community that God has within these small groups. Number seven, I'll encourage other members to grow, to cultivate that daily time with God. I will, number eight, pursue opportunities to share. This is evangelism, telling others about what God's doing in our lives. Number nine, I will pray and support the leadership of this church to continue to seek God's direction for our small group ministry. This is all promoting we are one in the body of Christ. How are you one with people that you don't know? Walking in on Sunday and walking out, how's everything? Fine, great, great week, bye. We'll never work down into you bringing out what needs to be brought out in the right place, in the right way. I was just here last week, you know, Ginger and I, we shared about the sermon and that was one level of sharing. But when we gathered in our small group, it was a different level because there we were with other individuals and we desire what is best. And there's a safety there. There's a joy there that we can just share and love each other and pray for one another. I don't want you to miss out on that. It's so valuable in our lives. And finally, we see this, disciples, Disciples of the Lord Jesus, we are transformed. Okay, he does this work in us. We're transformed people of truth. This is what it is to become like Jesus. He does this in us. There's a right place for vows. Followers of Christ are people of truth. And this ought to be refreshingly different and distinct, countercultural. That we're to be straightforward, no hypocrisy. What did you really mean there? We should just be, shoot straight, be level. What you see is what you get. And what you get ought to be real. We want to be authentic. Why? Because we're the church. And Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15. Hey, if I can't get there soon... Timothy, young man, listen up. You know where you are serving. I want you to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the, what's the word? Truth. What are we supposed to be? Truthful. 
Why? Because we have the only gospel that saves. We're telling people about Jesus the way the truth and the life. And if we don't resemble him, if we don't reflect him rightly, how are people going to figure out when this is what they're seeing of people that they think are Christians? That's destructive to the cause, but it doesn't touch the gospel. But it gives us extra challenges when we're trying to explain the gospel to someone who knows a Christian. And that Christian, so-called, has not been anything like Jesus. Well, how did we get into this, the church, the pillar in the ground of truth? First of all, we have to admit the truth about ourselves. Like, we have to confess, sinner, I deserve hell. I need a savior, and I'm not the savior. I can't save myself. Help me, Lord, thief on the cross. We admit the truth about ourselves. What does God desire from us, from people made in his his image? Psalm 51, 6. Behold, you delight in truth. Where? In the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What does God care about this morning, beloved? In you and in me. He sees it all. He knows it all. There's nothing hidden from him. And I love what Tim Keller says when he says, he knows you to the bottom and he loves you to the skies. Who else knows you like that? If you're married, your spouse knows you probably pretty good, but they don't know you like God knows you. And he knows everything about you and he's not running away from you, but inviting you to come in to authenticity with him. We've admitted the truths about ourselves. We've embraced the truth of the gospel, which is what is true about God and what he has done for us in Christ. So that when someone comes to faith in Christ, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's synonymous synonymous with being saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth, that I used to live in a lie. I used to practice a lie. I was, uh, uh, my father was a liar, the devil. And then the gospel invaded my life and told me the truth about me and told me the truth about God and his son, Jesus. And I have, my eyes have been opened and I've come to a saving knowledge of the truth. That changes everything about us then. From that moment on, we can live in the light of the truth. And we live with other people who are living in the light of the truth so we can reject lies and we can embrace the truth. It is so comforting to know, isn't it, that we don't have to hide behind an invented person. Listen to me. Are you afraid if people actually find out what's really going on in your, in your mind and in your heart and if they really knew your motives? Do you know how exhausting that is to live that way? Instead of saying, the Lord knows me, and he loves me, and he's changing me, and I don't have to lie or pretend about anything that's wrong in me. I can own it, admit it, confess it, forsake it, and be clean, and I can live in hope, and I can live in holiness, not because of me, because of what he's done for me in Jesus. Praise God for this. And what, where are we placed then? In the church, with brothers and sisters in Christ, We're not trying to pretend that we're better than other people because we aren't. We're just forgiven. Early in ministry, I I was too afraid of failing, of what people would think. That factored into marital difficulty from me into our marriage of what will people think about me. And if I'm not a great youth pastor, if I'm not a great pastor, and if I ever make a wrong decision or a wrong step, and then people won't trust me anymore, and I put all this on myself. Do you know how liberating it is to simply say, yeah, we may, 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 might make a mistake. I might say a word every now and then. There's something you pick on, I'm like, that's not a word. You invented a word. But now, you know how liberating it is that you actually should be able to laugh and say, yeah, no, it's not. Instead of head into places of have to hold this standard that's self-invented and unattainable. 
And Jesus is simply saying, I already know it all about you. Why are you running? How about you run from the darkness to the light today? Stop hiding. What does Paul say to the Colossians? Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice. Isn't that the old man? To lie, 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 lie. To the Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's be truthful with one another. Reject the lies of the darkness and the father of lies and run to the light of the Savior and their father in heaven. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, you think he was listening? Because he writes the church that is persecuted and going through all types of trouble. And he says in James 5, 12, but above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and then do what you said you're going to do with the help and the power of God. Two lessons. Dishonesty is wrong. Fine print, technical loopholes, religious excuses, and all of that don't, don't get you out. It's wrong. Integrity is right. So by God's grace, all will know that what we say we're going to do we do. We speak the truth in love. A couple of questions. In what way are you tempted to keep hiding that deception in your life? Can you imagine if right now we just pulled the screen up of everything that went on in our thought life this last week? Like, okay, here we go, evidence. God knows it already. So where are you tempted to hide that, keep that, bring it to the light? What is my next step to reject lies and embrace the truth? want to help you take that step today. However we can do that. Online, you can reach out to us. Here, I'm here to pray with you. We're going to pray and we're going to sing about our living hope and we're going to We're going to hold in our hand the elements of communion that remind us that Jesus, his blood was shed and his body was broken so that we could come to the light. He gave himself for you and for me. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for truth. Thank you for the gospel and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we... We aim, it is our intention to turn away from all that is false, from all idols, and trust only in you and turn to you for you alone save. You you alone are good and we worship you and we trust you. So I'm praying for those who today may not know you, Lord, that today would be the day they turn from their sin and trust in you. I'm praying, Lord, for those who do belong to you, that we will continue in this process of sanctification, that your Holy Spirit will continue to refine, to change, to grow us for the glory of Jesus. We love you, and we thank you for your love and the hope that we have that is forever hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.